And then uh, what I'd like to do is continue talking about what I started to talk about last week, which is oh, mindfulness. And um, um, this came about because of what happened a few weeks ago, where we were having a discussion. And in the discussion, it became clear to me that a lot of people don't know, didn't know, uh, so much about how to practice mindfulness of thinking, mindfulness of thought. And so I thought I'd talk some more about mindful. You know, sometimes I don't talk about mindfulness so much, but I thought, oh, let's talk about it for a while and see what we know, see what we don't know, see what's helpful, what's not helpful. And so I talked a little about mindfulness in general last week. And, and then I would like to talk tonight about mindfulness of the body, which is the first foundation of mindfulness. There are four foundations of mindfulness. Mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of feelings, mindfulness of the mind, and mindfulness of dharmas, or mental experiences of dharma. And um, they're all... Great. They're all helpful. They're all great. And it's really interesting. It'll, hopefully it will be interesting you to start to think or contemplate a little more directly about mindfulness, what it is, and how you understand it in terms of your application of mindfulness, which is what we did here for the first 45 minutes, and which I hope you're learning how to do for the next 45 minutes. Like, how do you be mindful while we're talking and having, you know, dialogue and concepts and ideas? Let's include this also. See what it's like to be mindful of your body while this talk and discussion happens. Because most people aren't so good at that. Most of us are more trained, at least in our community, to be mindful when we're in silent meditation. And then we have a kind of general idea, oh, mindfulness means kind of remember what's happening when it's happening. You know, don't, don't leave your purse at the supermarket, or, you know, otherwise you weren't being mindful, as people say. But I'm suggesting to you there's a broader and more um, uh, interesting way to think about mindfulness, which is a way to live one's life in a very lived live to a way to live one's life in a very full and awake way. And so I'll I've got a bunch of different thing, ways to go tonight, but I want to talk mostly about mindfulness of the body. I want to make sure to leave some time for questions or comments from you, which I didn't do last week. And and I want that to be part of the series of mindfulness. I want to hear how you understand it and uh, any kind of questions or concerns or wondering or um, epiphany that comes up as we talk about mindfulness. And so I thought I'd begin with the Buddha talking about mindfulness. He said, one thing, one thing, O practitioners, monks and nuns, one thing, if developed and frequently practiced, leads to a deep stirring of the mind and heart to great benefit, to great security from toil, to mindfulness and clear comprehension, to the attainment of vision and knowledge. 
One thing, if developed and frequently practiced, leads to a deep stirring of the mind and heart, to great benefit, to great security from toil, to mindfulness and clear comprehension, to the attainment of vision and knowledge, to a happy abiding in this very life, to the realization of the fruit of knowledge and deliverance. What is this one thing? Mindfulness of the body. It is a mindful contemplation of the body. So that's a good pitch as far as I'm concerned <laughs> um, from the Buddha. He's saying, you know, mindfulness of the body leads to a deep awakening of the heart and mind, a deep stirring of the heart and mind to all kinds of different benefits, security from toil, or security from the um, difficulty of being attached to this or that, or wanting or not wanting, or this way or that way that it leads to um, um, mindfulness, clear comprehension, understanding, to the attainment of vision and knowledge. So awakening the different capacities of, that we have to see and know and understand and intuit and get in an intelligent way the reality that we are an expression of and that we are living in. <clears throat> and then he says to vision knowledge to a happy abiding in this very life if we just could get that that would be really something for most of us and the fruit of knowledge and deliverance this is really now he's pointing at awakening knowledge the root of knowledge is gnosis g-n-o-s-i-s and it's the aha knowledge it's not just in conceptual knowledge or intellectual knowledge. It's aha. It's when oh we get it. We get it not with just the mind in terms of ideas, but with the whole being in terms of our whole the the totality of who and what we are. We get something. That kind of awakening and deliverance. And the sutta, the Satipatthana Sutta, which is the sutta on the four foundations of mindfulness begins with contemplating awareness of the body in the body. That's the first contemplation that the Buddha encourages us to take up. And so, I would like to encourage all of you to really experiment with it, play with it, learn about it, explore it, see what happens even right now. Don't You don't have to focus so much on my words. The, the, the good things I say, they'll, mostly they'll come in. The bad things, hopefully, hopefully they won't come in. But if you feel your body, the intention or the sincerity of what I'm talking about, hopefully that will come in. That there's another level of getting the talk than just the words that I'm saying. And so he talks about awareness of the body in the body and, in, and then encourages us to practice a number of different ways. So mindfulness of the breath, which we were doing some tonight. Mindfulness of the body posture, which we were doing tonight. Um, uh, he goes on to talk about mindfulness uh, in terms of 
full awareness in movement and each activity, which I was a little bit trying to encourage you to do after the talk, like while you were hanging out, while you were chatting, while you were having tea, while you were going to the bathroom. Like, don't think... Here, here's some. This is Eugene rule. Not, not a rule. I don't really have rules, but Eugene's a good idea. Or, or what Eugene thinks is a good idea. The better way to say it. Which is that there's nothing that's outside of mindfulness. There's nothing you have to get rid of in order to be mindful. The, the trick is to learn how to be mindful in the middle of each experience, like the experience of listening right now. Notice if you're listening, what you're listening to. Are you listening to me or are you listening to your thoughts? And you can listen to either, but be aware of what's happening or what's functioning. And be aware of your body. Be aware of the places of contact right now. Remember what I said before, earlier, the chair, the butt on the cushion, or the hands on, or maybe your lips touching right now, or, or again, or your hand on your face right now, or your arms folded right now. Like really let the awareness be centered in the experience sitting in your seat, and that's a great way to listen to a Dharma talk. Because the Dharma talk is pointing at what's sitting in your seat. It's pointing at your direct, immediate experience. And how that experience can um, be nurtured to awakening. So the Buddha, he said, full awareness in movement, in each activity. Eating, drinking, consuming food, tasting. Those are those are those are easy ones generally, right? Anybody here not like to eat or drink? <laughs> no? Okay, good. Nobody. Everybody likes to eat and drink. So that's a great place to start to see not how enchanting eating and drinking is, but how can you be mindful while you're eating and drinking? What's this experience like? Right, because we don't pay attention to it, and we're doing it generally three to six times a day. Right? It's really nice to teach this on retreat, where people are having silent meals three times a day, and and you can really teach eating meditation. Now, I'm happy to teach eating meditation because it's a powerful way to practice. But the Buddha is talking about it in the first teachings on mindfulness. So he says, eating, drinking, consuming food consuming food and tasting, acting in full awareness when defecating and urinating. Okay? No part left out. Is that okay with everybody? Anybody not defecate or urinate? Right? Everybody does. Great place to practice. I won't go into detail, but, but it's also part of human... It's, in other words, the Buddha's already pointing us at the totality of human reality that there's no part left out, and that as we start to include every part of human reality, that adds the nurturance for awakening. He says, okay, so full awareness, acting in full awareness when defecating and urinating, when walking, standing, sitting, falling asleep, waking up, talking and keeping silent. 
So, the, and this is mindfulness of the body, talking like Eugene is, or keeping silent like you are. Being mindful. This is a body meditation, mm-hmm. in the, or one of the ways to practice it is as a body meditation. So, and it's an awareness practice. We're aware of the, not the idea, oh, I'm talking, or the idea, I'm listening. I mean, that's okay, that can be part of it. But the experience of it. Like, feel your ears for a minute. Like, sense your ears, where the sound is coming in. You know, and you could say, I can't feel my ears, but maybe you could feel your ears. Maybe you can actually sense this part of the body. Or maybe you could sense the impact of the words on your body. Maybe you like some of the words, or you don't like some of the words, or the ideas, or the theories, or the way I'm talking. Doesn't matter. Can you be aware of what happens to your body as you take in what what I'm saying, how I'm saying it, whether you like it or not, whether it's good or bad or not? Can you stay present in the immediate moment's experience with your physical body. And so those, these are, those are the basic or part of the, the overall uh, basis for mindfulness of the body. And then there's always in the, in the Satipatthana Sutta, the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, there's the teachings of one of the foundations, like body, and then there's the insight teaching. And the insight teaching, and I'm just giving you a short version now, says one abides contemplating, contemplating the body as a body. One abides contemplating the body as a body internally, externally, as experience arises and vanishes, not clinging to anything in this world. That's an important piece. How many people know that, what I'm saying, know what I'm talking about? How many people don't know what I'm talking about? Good. I'm glad somebody admits they don't know what I'm talking about. Let me see if I know what I'm talking about. (laughs) So he says, one abides contemplating the body as a body, internally, externally. So it means, and this is something, sometimes people don't hear. Mindfulness of the body means contemplating this direct immediate experience, but it's also seeing, oh, these are bodies. These are all bodies sitting here. You know, whatever form, whatever gender, whatever identity these bodies have, they're bodies. And so one begins to recognize bodiness in a direct, physical, immediate way, but also visually in a relational, interpersonal way. The reality of life as bodiness. And really it's bigger than human bodies. It's all living bodies. And I, I have to say I've been very moved lately about the teaching on non-harming in Buddhism, which is you really don't kill any living animal. You don't that's that's not considered good practice to kill a living animal. Because the bodiness, or what enlivens those bodies, on a certain level is the same, whether it's human, or dog, or cow, or 
kangaroo or alligator or fish or whatever it might be, crocodile, that there's this amazing phenomenon called life that's sitting right here in each body. It's a manifestation that this body is expressing this the manifestation of life right here, right now, for a while. You know, 5, 10, 20, 30, 4, 50, 70, 90, 100 years. And then that life will change its form. So one contemplates not clinging to anything in this world. Not clinging, that's that's a long discussion. Doesn't mean you can't like things, love things, totally love things. Just means we see the reality of human life and of all life is not permanent. And in fact, all of us, this is one thing, I don't guarantee a lot, this is one thing I'm going to guarantee. All of us is going to, all of us will learn how to let go of everything by the time we die or in the dying process or will suffer a lot but even still you can't hold on to everything or anything everybody got that? anybody not agree with me on this? you could even not agree with me it's always good to do that (laughs) but it's so funny how attached we get to things as if they're going to stay and nothing stays this can't happen. So here, there's an important word here. I want to I want to um, say a little bit more about, which is contemplate, because it's it's throughout the Satipatthana Sutta, the four foundations of mindfulness, and it's a beautiful term, contemplate. <coughs> contemplate. <clears throat> it means to look at in the dictionary. It means to look at with continued attention, sense to consider attentively, attentively, to ponder or study or gaze upon or view or observe. And then I have a little equal mark. It knows all of those equal behold, which is an English word we don't use so much anymore, to behold something. (coughs) And it, it was used more earlier in human history to behold, and it's a, it's a beautiful world. Uh, excuse me, it is a beautiful world. <laughs> Sometimes it is a beautiful world, but it's a beautiful word. <clears throat> like in, in stories, they used to say, behold the diamond, or behold the jewels, or behold the princess, or behold the dragon. It always, uh, it always pointed at something numinous something that had some kind of um, sacredness or or mystery as part of it. <clears throat> so it signified a numinous or magical reality. And, and when we behold something, when we really contemplate something, we begin to step out of consensual reality, habitual reality, the usual way we, um, we apply conventional reality to something. The world starts to become alive 
when we contemplate something. And it's a beautiful um, talent and skill that mindfulness will bring. That when we're really contemplating, we really start to see beyond our ideas, beyond our beliefs, beyond what we've been told, beyond what we've experienced before, into the immediacy of reality, which is always truly immediate. All the ideas, all the past, they're fine, great to have ideas, great to have history, great to have past, great to remember, but don't think that's the end of the story, otherwise you'll have a very limited story. You'll have an uncontemplative story. And so, even our bodies... Well, here, let me ask a question. I thought I'd wrote this down somewhere, but maybe somewhere else. How many people think they have a great body? (laughs) Okay, that's about two hands. (laughs) Honest, I appreciate that, really. Because most of us don't. You know, most of us have a lot of ideas, beliefs, projections, memories, all kinds of stuff about our bodies. How many of you think that what's sitting here in your seat is sacred and numinous and actually a manifestation of God? All right, okay, that's pretty good. I'm impressed. Okay, maybe I should have used another phrase with that manifestation of God, but good. No, that's good. I like that. Often what happens when we think we know something is we don't see that manifestation of the divine or the immediate or the sacred or the magical or the mystical. That actually we think we, what we're seeing are our ideas about things, about our bodies, about who we are, about what's here. And so we don't actually sense or feel or contemplate the reality of what's here, the livingness of what's here, the mysterious aliveness that's sitting in your seat right now is nowhere else. It's nowhere else. It's right there. It's always here, which is one of the amazing things about human life and about waking up. And why we're drawn to waking up is because somewhere we know that. We know that that's true, that that possibility is inherent for us as human beings. Here's a quote about body from Ajahn Mun. So Ajahn Mun is my teacher's teacher's teacher. How's that? I'm in in this lineage, which means you're in this lineage if you, you know, are open to any of the teachings I give. So, and so what that means, just so you know, Ajahn Mun uh, means some one of my teachers, Jack Cornfield, Jack Cornfield's teacher is Ajahn Chah. Ajahn Chah's teacher was Ajahn Mun. He said, in your investigation of the world, in your investigation of the world, never allow the mind to desert the body. Never allow the mind to desert the body. Examine its nature. See the elements that comprise it. See the impermanence the selflessness of the body while sitting, standing, walking, lying down. Examine the nature of the body. See its elements. See the impermanence. See the selflessness 
of the body while sitting, standing, walking, lying down, when its true nature is seen, when its true nature of the body is seen fully and lucidly by the heart, the wonders of the world will become clear. In this way, the purity of mind can shine forth, timeless and delivered. So, you don't need to buy anything special to have Buddhist awakening. You're already, you've got everything you need here right now. This experience, this body, this heart, mind, body, that's all that's needed for awakening. To feel this, to sense it, to be aware of it, to be mindful of it, to stay, what we, what we do need is learn how to be consistent, learn how to be devoted, learn how to pay more attention than we think we is enough. It's, there's, a, there's enough and then there's more to learn. There's more capacity. It's one of the beautiful things about us as human beings. Is we have way more capacity than we think we have. We have way more potential than we know about. And don't, don't believe your, your idea of your limits. We have our limitations, but they're not set in stone. And one of the beautiful things to see is how practice begins to unwind or unfurl those beliefs, ideas, the memory, the, the history that has shaped us. So that when we're here, when we're really here, there's so much more to who and what we are that we could have even imagined. It's beautiful. Totally beautiful. And, and, and one of the main ways to discover is actually by paying attention to your body. Like feel it now, sense it now, know what's happening now. Not thinking about it so much. The direct experience, the immediate experience, the living experience. It's a dharma gate for awakening the body. It's a dharma door, dharma gate. The physical medium of experiencing through the senses is where we awaken. The medium through which we have direct experience, the felt sense of now, the immediacy of experience right here, the nowness, thusness, isness, that is available to us through this simple practice of being mindful of our body. I'm, I'm quoting myself here. That's my quote. <laughs> and, and what does that mean? It means practice. It means pay attention. It means be awake, feel, look. Be mindful. Let the mindfulness be immersed in the bodily experience. And notice your skepticism. Notice your disbelief. Notice your, yeah, this is bullshit. Whatever, that's fine. That's not a problem. But notice that for what it is. Skepticism, disbelief, wondering, doubt is the classic Buddhist term for it. It's doubt. And it's fine to have doubt. Don't have to get rid of your doubt. Don't just believe your doubt, though. Don't think that's the end of the story. Here's Suzuki Roshi. He's talking about mindfulness of the body. He says, to stop your mind does not mean to stop the activities of mind. To stop your mind does not mean to stop the activities of mind. It means your mind pervades your whole body. 
your mind follows your breathing. With your full mind, you form the mudra of your hands. With your whole full mind, you sit with painful legs. To stop your mind does not mean you stop the activities. It means your mind pervades your whole body. And, you know, and it means even when the body is painful or difficult, which happens, which is normal. Anybody not have, ever had a difficult body? I, I'm, I don't mean to really put my hand up, but, right? That's part of our reality as human beings, is learning how to wake up. And waking up doesn't mean we only wake up when we're having a good time. We can wake up when we're having a good time, but we can also wake up when we're having a bad time, a difficult time, a painful time, an uncomfortable time. I have to say, what comes into my mind, I want to do one good time thing. When I was teaching, I used to teach a mindfulness class for mostly for faculty at UCSF. Uh, no, 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 USC, USC. Uh, excuse me, USF. <laughs> that right? USF. Okay, I got it. It's been a long time. Uh, and I never was big on college myself. So, so, but I was teaching there, and when one day they said, oh, would I be willing to do a mindfulness class for him? Uh, it was some project, an outward bound project. They bringing a lot of kids in to USF, and would I do that? And I said, sure. Okay, you know, I come in and, you know, about 50 kids come into the room and, you know, it's all kinds of kids, great kids, a lot of kids. And I realized they don't give a shit about meditation. <laughs> you know, they're just getting out of whatever they're getting out of. But okay, it's not a problem. I'm like, I'm trying to figure out how can I get these kids interested a little and so, you know, I say, well, they brought me in, they want me to teach you about mindfulness, and, and they're like fooling around. People, kids are sitting on their desk, cross-legged, acting like they're medicine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these are teenagers. And, and it was fun. And so finally I thought, it came to me, I said, I said, okay, here's a good reason why you might want to learn about meditation and mindfulness. Does anybody here want to have really good sex? <laughs> and they were like, <laughs> I said, okay, I can teach you how to do that. <laughs> I said, but you can't tell anybody I taught you. <laughs> and then I taught them about being mindful of their bodies. I said, if you want to have good sex, you have to be in your body. That's what's needed. And, and they were interested, you know, for 10 minutes. <laughs> but it was funny. And it's true for you, too. You want to have good sex? Get in your body. For all of us. Really. If you want to have loving that is numinous or sacred or beyond the idea that gift present in the physical experience. Because that's where it's happening. Besides the idea, oh, this is great or exciting or cool or whatever it is, the experience is what's fun. So, let's see, where am I now? Now that I'm 
intersects in the body and it's easy to get there. Okay, so here I was talking about Suzuki Roshi. So he said, with your full mind you sit with painful legs. Okay, here's the way. Let's do a little bit of mindfulness of the body. Look at your hand. I've done this many times. But look at your hand. See what it looks like. You know, what, what do you know about the hand? Right? There's a shape. There's fingers, thumb. There's skin, color, lines. There's uh, m- muscles. There's bone. There's ligaments. There's movement. Right? Now shut your eyes. Just shut your eyes and feel the hand, the direct experience. Don't move it and feel it, but really feel it. And this is mindfulness. So you're just feeling this experience that we call the hand, and we have all these concepts about, ideas about. They're all true, they have the relative truth. But we're looking at a more intimate experience, which is the sensation of the part of the body generally we call hand. What do you notice when you feel this experience? Anybody? What do you experience? Pardon? Pulsing. Tingling. You gotta feel it to tell me something. Warmth. Warmth, good heat. Coolness in the space between the fingers. Coolness in the space between the fingers. Heaviness. Pardon? Heaviness, yeah. Location. Pardon? It's location. It's location. Up in the air it's not a matter. Well, uh, that's if you think about it. Feel it. Feel the experience. So all I'm pointing you at is is it's simpler, right? There's not a lot added on. There's weight, heavy or light. There's some sensation, tingling or dull. There's shape, but sometimes the shape can feel like this shape or it can feel like this shape or it can feel like this shape or it can feel like that shape when we're in the direct experience the, 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 the feeling, the mindfulness of the direct experience is not the ideas of everything we think about the hand and it can change moment by moment by moment so it's simpler mindfulness of the body it's not a mental exercise it's a direct experiential meditation and often we all have mixed relationship to our body Um, not all of us are comfortable being in our bodies anybody ever notice that experience that's a very common experience most people don't even know that they're not in their bodies you know, they're so involved, we're so involved in our minds, in our mental uh, area, that we don't realize we're not in our body until something happens, like we get sick, or we have sex, or, so, or we get really cold, and then we really feel. But we're not aware of just the simple ordinariness of bodiness. 
This is from one of my teachers said, when I say, are you in your body, I mean, are you completely filling your body? I want to know whether you are in your feet or you just have feet. Do you live in them or are they just things you use to walk around? Are you in your belly or do you, or do you know vaguely that you have a belly? Are you present in yourselves in the habiting and filling your body with awareness? This is from Hamid Ali. And, you know, this being in our body, one reason why it's hard is we have, we have, sometimes we've had bad experiences with the body, illnesses, abuse, uh, or, or uh, disrespect, or denigration, or, and we've incalculated some of that in our minds. We think, many of us think, have negative thoughts about our bodies. Like, I'm too tall. Right? No, no, that's not mine. <laughs> I'm too short. I'm too tall. I'm too round. I'm too thin. I'm not this enough. I'm not that enough. I'm not, I should be. It'd be great if my hair was, or if my muscles were, or if my breasts were, or if my butt was, or if my this or that. There's all this judgment or ideas or beliefs about how the body should be. This is one of my favorite poems from Honest Word. She said, I say to my body, you carcass. <laughs> you carcass, I say. You, I say to my body, you, you carcass, crated, nailed down, deaf and blind like a padlock. I should beat you till you scream, starve you for 40 days, hang you over the highest abyss of the world. Perhaps then, perhaps then, perhaps then a window in you would open on everything I feel exists. Perhaps then a window in you would open on everything I feel exists, on everything that is closed to me. I say to my body, you carcass, you are afraid of pain and hunger, you are afraid of the abyss. You deaf, blind carcass, I say, and I spit at the mirror. So that's not a Buddhist teaching. <laughs> that's not a compassionate attitude towards the body. But Anaswar was very honest about how we feel sometimes. And she says it in a beautiful way beautiful meaning powerful way better way to say it so part of being mindful of the body sometimes means we will confront our feelings our attitudes our judgments our beliefs our ideas about body itself rather and ultimately means we'll start to see the reality of body internally and externally without clinging to any idea, but to see, oh, the body is just this aliveness that's happened and going to happen for a while and it's going to die, but it's this aliveness that has the potential to wake up, to be awakened. And it's sitting right in your seat, in each seat here. It's not somewhere else. It's sitting right in your seat. And notice if you even believe that, 
because uh, to be honest, uh, personally, I didn't believe that at all for years. It took me a while to get that. Mm-hmm. You know, or that we, we're going to die. We're all going to, everybody here is going to die. It's one of the easiest things for me to say these days after my recent accident because I came close enough to dying and had enough taste of death to see, oh yeah, this is, you know, okay, I met, I died here this time, but next time, no, maybe not, that'll be the end of this body. And it's, uh, and I don't mean that at all disrespectfully, I feel I'm happy to be alive, totally happy to be alive. Had a great bike ride today, I just want you to know that. Not quite as adventurous as I used to be, but still, it was, it was beautiful to be out and be out with friends and be out um, in, in the world in this living way. What a, what a treat that we were alive. But we need to be respectful of the fact that life won't live forever. When Ajahn Chah was very sick, Jack Cornfield went to see him. And Ajahn Chah had diabetes, had heart problems, water on the brain, seizure. He'd lost memory and awareness, was moaning in his sleep, put in a shunt. I don't even know what a shunt is, some kind of medical device. He was weak. And Jack went to him. Jack Cornfield bowed and said, this is always, you've always been teaching this. And he said, he said, Ajahn Chah was fierce with him, like boom, fierce, and said, don't take it lightly. Don't, don't make a joke on this. This is not a joke. This is serious. And Jack said it woke him up. It really taught him something. Yeah, it's true. We teach that everything's impermanent, but it's not to be taken lightly. It's to be appreciated, respected, the reality of life in all its forms. Oh, I have lots more, but I think maybe I'll just say one more thing. No, I think maybe, you know, let's see. Let's see, yeah, I will say one more thing. So, the goal of practice is about insight and awakening. It's about discovering that this body, this person, this being, is part of the path to awakening. And so awakening means not only do we wake up, not only are we uh, uh, freed from our habitual or um, uh, a systematic way to see reality or know reality, but that we start to embody that awakening so that we live from a free way, from in an awakened way, in a way that brings wisdom and compassion to the world. And so the Dharma is expressed through each being who wakes up. And it's one of the beauties of, of Dharma is, and, and of the body is that the Dharma is embodied so that our lives become an expression of the Dharma, expression of our love of the Dharma, of the truth. And as the Buddha said, he said, in this fathom-long body, with its perceptions and inner sense, lies the world, the cause of the world, 
the cessation of the world and the path that leads to freedom. So I'm going to stop there. I wanted to leave a little time for questions, comments, reactions, criticism, praise. If you could stand, say your name, yes, and speak loudly, please. Marissa, hi. Um, I find this concept overstimulating. Overstimulating. Yeah, like I don't have a problem being aware. I can feel the air on my face. I can feel everything physically, uh-huh. um, and I feel like I'm going to have an anxiety attack. You talk more and more about it, and I'm getting more and more like so, so Marissa is getting. Wait, wait, stay there. We're not there. It's having some kind of a reaction to what I'm saying uh, because she feels like she can feel the air, you know, touch and all. But as I'm talking, it brings more anxiety. What's the anxiety? What? what? I, 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 like I can't. I can't take it all in. Can't take it all in. Okay. Oh, you're gonna. <laughs> okay, that could be a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know, but, but, but okay. So here's, here's how, how to listen to talk when it feels like the talk is too much, like you're describing. Just stay with your body. Don't worry about taking it all in. You're having a secondary reaction that you're being mindful of, which is called taking it all in. You don't have to take it all in. It's all coming in. It'll all come in anyway. You can feel all of it. I feel all of it. Is what? It's too much. What's too much? Feeling all of it. Feeling all of what? Your body? Yeah, feeling all of it. It's like so much is happening. It's too much. I can't even. So, I can't even think. <laughs> so, so she feels if she feels her body, it's too much. So then limit what you feel. Go ahead. Just, just feel how much you can feel comfortably. Right, because isn't that why you choose to like check out and not want to feel? Because suddenly I, you start to feel, well, I start to feel pain. So I'm thinking, well, maybe I can focus on what feels good. So I'm like, well, this hair feels Right, but that's, okay, so she's saying, oh, you could, if you have pain, you should focus on pleasure. No. What, you, what mindfulness can teach you is how to focus, how to be mindful of what's ever predominant in your experience of body. And so sometimes it'll be pain, absolutely, and it's an amazing skill to learn. It's not easy, and I don't, I don't I wish you all no pain, but in fact, you're going to have pain. It's part of human life. And learning how to be mindful of it, amazing skill. So my bike accident, right, all the broken bones and head hitting the ground, right, a lot of pain. If I didn't know how to be mindful of pain, I'm even worse than knowing how to be mind, knowing how to be present in a very difficult situation is much better than not knowing how to be present, at least in my experience. So, so okay, so two things, remember, when you, and you can get down to talk, you can be very sensitive for a down to talk. If it's too much information, don't worry about the con- content, stay with the mindfulness, stay with the, your experience. Stay with your body. Even now, don't worry about what I'm saying. Stay with your body. And then slowly one sees that one's consciousness has uh, 
infinite capacity. Now, it doesn't mean we don't need training and practice, but with training and practice, one can, as far as I can tell, can be present for almost anything. I mean, especially given my accident, which was a hard thing, you know, but it was really, I was so grateful that I knew how to be present with difficulty, with pain, with uncomfortableness, with unclarity, all of that. Okay, but good, good, let's keep talking about it as we keep going through these four foundations of mindfulness. Okay. What do you got? I'm Kevin. This is kind of a thing. This shouldn't take long. I hope you spend my time on this. But when I was meditating this time, I often, I, I was trying to remember all of a sudden, like, like I had an incredible itch, like on my, yeah. my ear. Right. And, and I'm sitting there and I'm saying, I know I'm not supposed to itch this and I'm not going to itch it, but I can't remember why. You know, and I said, what am I, what am I learning from that? You, okay, so you, you're sitting and being mindful of the body. Your predominant experience is an itch in your ear. Feel the itch. Alright? Not comfortable. I'm not saying, oh, this is good. But it's really interesting to see the capacity of consciousness has to be aware of something we don't like. Unpleasant sensation. Or, you know, and then to see what happens if you're mindful of it, which is if you pay attention to it, I bet for sure at a certain point it goes away, or at a certain point you itch it. One or the other, but it's really interesting. See, because you can have an itch, or you could have burning, or we could, you could have a, a feeling like a tear, or a rip, or a hardness, or all kinds of things. Especially if you do any amount of meditation, you can have all kinds of wild experiences, and you can be mindful of them. What else about the body? Yeah. David. Yeah. And, um, Mindfulness of the body in the body. So I have an idea of what it is to not be present. I think that's is that what you mean by not being in the body to be lost in thought. Rather, uh-huh. the attention of the mind is on what it's the pulses, the burning, the pain, the breathing. The, it might take me and then a lot of expansion in my sinuses right. and things like that. So is that what's meant by mindfulness of the body in the body? Um, that could be all part of it but it doesn't have to be so delineated in other words just you're standing now just feel yourself standing just that experience however the experience is don't even don't even have to delineate the experience just the overall experience of the body standing here right the feeling our sense of it so that's my understanding. That's good enough. And then, yeah, there could be you could notice you're feeling your liver is this, or your you know your bladder is this, or your you know your elbow is this or that. You could notice the specifics, but that's less important than the experience itself. In other words, you could describe or conceptualize the experience. That's secondary. Okay? Yeah. And, you know, remember, um, and it, feel free to experiment. To see, oh, what's it like? What does it feel like if I'm in my body? What does it feel like if I'm not in my body? Like, try to do both. 
So you can see, or what's it like, you know, when you realize you haven't been here in a physical way? Or where, where are you? Where is your consciousness? That's a great question. Yes. Is this all in the service of being totally present in the moment? Is this all in the service of being totally present in the moment? In other words, that the body is part of that. And so you could say yes, the body's part of it, but it's really given in the service of awakening. That that's what the teachings from. The four foundations of mindfulness are the are the Buddhist meditation teaching to uh, nirvana, nirvana. Okay. And that's being present in the moment is just one step. Is is forward. part of that? Yes. Being present mm-hmm. in the moment is part of that. Hi, I was wondering if you could talk a little about the difference between contemplating internally and externally. Yeah. And maybe an example of both. Okay. Right now, what's your name? Matt. Matt. So right now, let's contemplate internally, like I'm feeling my body, I'm aware of it, and I'm seeing your body. And I'm aware of the bodiness of both. And one's an internal felt sense contemplation. One has a certain amount of visual sense contemplation. Okay? And then... Yeah, yeah. It's a simple way to talk about external. Last one. My name is Beth. Um, um, in the quote that you read, the Argon Moon quote, yeah. um, you said the body is selfless. Yeah. Can you say a little bit more about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could say I've got about 30 seconds. I'll give you a whole teaching on selflessness. Well, you will see soon enough that the body is selfless. Because <laughs> at a certain point, whatever you're identifying as yourself will not be identified with that body. And Or you could look at anybody you know who's died. It's a great question. Like, you know, it was one of the great things when I... I excuse my language but it was one of the illuminating things when my father died was to be with his body and realize oh he's not here his body's here the body that was my father but he's not here that's not so that's what it's that's one of the ways easy ways to see the selflessness really what it means is there's more to contemplate when we'll contemplate body feelings mind Dharma will be contemplating, start to contemplate what we take to be self, and the idea, or the especially the habitual historical identity that was given the name Beth a long time ago, and when she was this big, and they were pointing and saying Beth, 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 she was going, who are they talking about? <laughs> you didn't know you were Beth. But at a certain point, that identity landed. And landed so, and not in a bad way, it's fine. We all have to have an identity and all. But then we think that's the totality of who we are. And it's not. 
Okay. So let's stop here. Let's sit for a minute. Thank you all. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.